Our series topic is leadership, and it is time to turn to the leader's family. How important a leader's parenting skills are when it comes to spiritual leadership. Our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtzen, shares an astounding recent discovery that has been made concerning the root cause of the social problems plaguing our culture. Do you realize after about 10 or 15 years of intensive research, millions of dollars spent, lots of money spent, that the sociologists have discovered something that is absolutely incredible. The sociologists and psychologists have now discovered what is the number one cause of the social problems in America. Drugs? They've now discovered what the number one cause of the drug problem is. Gangs. Remember Yuppie, the little kid in, little 9, 11-year-old kid being killed in Chicago? Gangs have been just dominating the Dallas News even in Fort Worth and all kinds of city council meetings. What are we going to do about the gangs? Sociologists and psychologists have now found out the number one cause of gangs in America. They've also found low grades. The SAT score has been plummeting. In fact, they just changed the bell curve to make it a little bit easier. Because the, the test kept going down farther and farther and farther. They found out the reason for that. After millions of dollars spent on research, after hours spent analyzing and doing interviews and doing cross-sections and analyzing it statistically, you know what they found out? The number one cause of the social problems of the United States of America today is that in many of our homes, there are not a dad and a mom jointly in the home. Now, I want you to get this. Sociologists and psychologists, there's a brand new trend. You know what it is? It is better for dad and mom to stay together and to stay in their home. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad they spent thousands and thousands of dollars to find that out? You know what I'm glad? I'm really glad. I, I don't mean to put them down. I'm really, really glad for a movement. In fact, U.S. News and World Report did a whole article on this. They did a whole series on this. It's called Why Fathers Count. And there's some incredible statements in this. I just want to read some of them to you. The article starts out with these incredible insights. It says, in fact, the title itself is worth the cost of the magazine. It says, Honor Thy Children. The article is a call for parents to honor their children. Look what it says. Nearly two of every five kids in America do not live with their fathers. Now a movement is growing to repair the damage and reconnect dad to their children. It starts out, Dad is destiny. More than virtually any other factor, a biological father's presence in the family will determine a child's success and happiness. Rich or poor, white or black, the children of divorce and those born outside of marriage struggle through life at a measurable disadvantage, according to a growing chorus of social thinkers. And their voices are more urgent because an astonishing 38% of all kids now live without their biological fathers, up from just 17.5% in 1960. More than half of today's kids will spend at least part of their childhood without a father. I want you to know that we're not immune from that. And how many of you were raised in homes without a biological father? Many of you, we would fit right into the statistic. Now, as we say that, I want there to be hope. I want you to realize that faced with that problem, we, as the followers of Jesus Christ, need to have tremendous hope. Because we're not locked into statistics, and we're not locked into just normal patterns. And we can create a community that, that has our priorities right. And even in situations where there's an absent dad or an absent mom, we can fill in the blanks with the body of Christ, with the family of God. So as we talk like this, I, want, I know that we have all different families represented here. And what I want you to understand is that we're going to talk about the importance of dad and mom. If you're alone, then it might be mom. If you're alone, it might just be dad. Ideally, the Lord wants it to be both dad and mom. And what I want you to catch a vision of today is what sociologists are telling us is that your role as a dad and a mom with your kids is of fundamental importance in our society. In fact, the new critics are saying this. The new critics challenge the view that external forces like street crime, lousy schools, and economic stress lie behind the crisis in the families. The revised thinking is that it's the breakdown of families that feeds social ills. Fatherlessness, get this, fatherlessness is the most destructive trend of our generation, argues David Blankenhorn, author of a provocative new book, Fatherless America, Confronting Our Most Urgent Social Problem. An interesting article. 
What I'm thrilled about is that for 2,000 years, as the family of God, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We didn't have to have PhDs in psychology. We didn't have to have statistics. Just open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we go on and talk about leadership in the body of Christ. And what we find out is that leadership in the body of Christ begins with leadership in our home. As the Lord God of heaven begins to look for leaders, we've learned that he doesn't look in boardrooms. We've learned that he doesn't look in um, into banks. He doesn't look in corporate America. He doesn't look for powerful speakers. He doesn't look for incredibly gifted individuals. He looks for men and women with character. He looks for people with godly character. And where you find that is in the home. What I want to get across to you today is developing godly fathers and mothers and godly kids is the most important responsibility that we have. In fact, the scripture says if you want to find out whether someone is ready for church leadership, you ask yourself what's happening in their home. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says this about a, a leader, an overseer, a mature man in the body of Christ. It says this, he, the elder, must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So the very first question we want to ask this morning as we talk about godly parents and godly kids is who is supposed to be in charge in the home? And the scripture is very, very clear. It says that the fathers, that the husbands are to be managing their own homes. Now, let's be honest. When I worked construction years ago, I worked with a bunch of he-men. I mean, they chewed tobacco. They wore big Western belt buckles like that. And, and man, you know, they could, they could sling hammers with the best of them. Man, they could use big concrete saws that blew all kinds of dust everywhere. Man, they were real men's men. But I got news for you. I found out after working with them for two summers, they took their check home on Friday night, if they had any sense, and gave it to the missus. Now, they talked about the missus all week long, sometimes in derogatory ways, and I couldn't use the language they used to describe who was, live, who was living in their home. But, you know, as I worked with those guys for two summers, you know who I found out held the management of their individual families? The women. If you were to analyze most American families, the one who takes responsibility, the one who takes management control is the mom. In other words, outside the home, like, man, I find preachers. You can have them in a business meeting, and man, they're really strong leaders. But they walk into their home, and suddenly their wife says, well, what do you think about so-and-so? Oh, do whatever you want. That'll be fine. The kids come in. Dad, could you help me with this calc problem? Oh, you know, maybe your mom can help you. Man, I've got something really important. I mean, the score right here in this NBA game is really close, and, and I can't miss it. So ask your mom, you know, honey, could you take out the garbage? Uh, Josh, could you take out the garbage for Dad? You see, dad's number one responsibility is to kick the feet up and relax. Because, man, he's been pouring himself out all week long. He's been carrying the load of the world. I mean, he's been arguing with Rush Limbaugh all week long about who's going to really control America. I mean, he's really in to the important stuff. I mean, he's got to control the nation. So when he, when he walks into his home, man, all the energy is gone. And so you've got to just pass on the responsibility to your wife. I've got news for you guys. That's not going to work. In fact, what women are crying out for in America, in their homes, is for their husbands and the fathers to take management control. The word that's used there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is a word that means that you're put in front. I remember a trip I made at our family gathering several years ago. We decided to, to hike up Mount Marcy which is the highest mountain in the Adirondacks. I came up with a cock and bull idea that we had a day off finally. We we're going we to let the men do their thing and the women would do their thing. The women all decided to go shopping and I convinced all the men that we could make it up there in one day period if we really hooked it. And so I had to get them all up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Man, and I ate, I ate my usual rye toast with a little bit of coffee and I decided that was going to be enough. Most of the guys going with me just tanked down eggs and pancakes and we started hiking about 5.30. Man, I said, I'll take the lead. And man, I took off. And man, I hiked and I hiked. From 5.30 in the morning, man, I hiked till about 11 o'clock. And we went up through Avalanche Pass and following all these little markets. And I've got news for you. When you're on a hike, it's really important to know who's at the point. You've got to know who's taking the lead. 
And if you know anything about my sense of direction, my family was taking their life in their hands, letting me take the lead. By a miracle of God's grace, I actually did know how to get to the top of Mount Marcy. And I actually did get all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom. And we jumped in the car, and man, all of them said, well, Dave, you can drive home. Man, I started driving home. I'm totally exhausted. I look around the car. All of my brothers, all of my brother-in-laws are out like a light. What I'd done during that day is for my family, I took the point. They had been watching the back of my head all day long. And we had hiked hours into the mountains and hours back. That's what a leader does. A leader is someone that is put out in front. Now, I've got news for you guys. You don't put yourself out in front. Your wife doesn't put you out in front. You know who puts you out in front? God. God looks around when he created Adam and Eve and said, Adam, you're going to be the responsible leader here. I don't know. You can ask God someday why he did that. I don't know. I think sometimes it's to show God's grace. Because God loves to work through people that don't really have their act together too well. Because really, to be frankly and honest with you, if I really want to get a job done, I'd most of the time rather have a bunch of women to do it. If you want to get something organized, if you want to get something off the, off the dime, get it moving, man, the women can do it. They can run it. They'll work themselves like dogs. You ask, you ask a bunch of men, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it. Not sure I want to do it. Got to go fishing. You know, I get a lot of other stuff. I think, I think some of the leadership responsibility God gives to the men is because he wants to show his grace. But I got news for you, fellas. You are designated in your families, in your church, and in your society. You hold the leadership responsibility. And what the men do in a society and what they do in their home and what they do in their churches is ultimately a deciding factor. You know what? Strangely enough, the women deeply want the men. Deep inside, they want men who will assume that responsibility. I'm not talking about people that hurt people or that beat them. Not talking about that at all. I'm talking about men who are really men who realize under God they have an awesome responsibility to be the lead, to be the point, to be the one that takes them to the top of the mountain safely and brings them back home and ultimately brings them home to the eternal kingdom, home to Jesus in heaven. Men, the scripture from the beginning of the chapters of Genesis to the end of Revelation has ordained that you daddies be the leader in your home, that you husbands be the leader in your home. It's the most awesome responsibility that you have. Now, if we are to be the leader in our home, and we turn to, first, we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's look at what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6. It says that the children have a responsibility in this godly home. And all of you parents have probably screamed these verses at your kids from one time or another. And it's the verses, children, all the children memorize these verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I want you to notice something. That in the Lord is the key to Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. The little phrase in the Lord means that every one of us are intimately joined with Jesus Christ. That his life is flowing through us. This morning it's absolutely imperative whether you be a child or you be an adult. It's imperative if things are going to work right, if things are going to be loving, it's imperative that you be in the Lord. I was raised with a dad that repeatedly looked at me in the eye and asked me, Dave, where are you in your relationship with the Lord? From the time I was a little boy, he would, when I did something wrong, he would look at me in the eye. Before, he gave, before my mom gave me a spanking, my mom usually wasn't the one that gave me a spanking, but before my mom spanked me, my dad would be relating to me, what's going on in your relationship with the Lord? That's what he was concerned about. And that's what it's saying here. Paul is saying that children in the Lord, you need to be obedient. And if I, I ask the kids, how many of you have ever struggled to obey your parents? Has anybody ever had their dad say, I want you to take out the garbage? And you felt inside, no, I don't want to take out the garbage. Or they say, would you clean up your room? Before you go out on this Saturday, your room needs to be cleaned. And what do the kids feel about it? No, I don't want to do that. You see, I remember that. I mean, my family, I've often shared with you in the past, in my family, my dad made me, when he gave me a command, I had to respond with, yes, dad. Because in a Yankee culture, to say, yes, sir, can be kind of snotty. Or to say, yes, ma'am. It's what a Yankee kid does when he wants to be just the opposite of what it means in the South. If he wants to be a little bit uppity and, and snotty, he says, yes, ma'am. Or yes, sir. 
But at home with your parents, a Yankee kid will say, yes, dad, sometimes yes, father, if it's real formal. But one of the ways that you as a kid signaled, in the South we do use it with yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. But be careful, kids, that it really comes from your heart. And it's not just an external thing. Sometimes Southern kids can be underneath churning with rebellion, but they act real courteous and real nice. That's not going to cut it, kids. My dad made me say, yes, dad, and yes, mom. And it meant that I was giving acknowledgement that you're the leader in the home, and you know what the next step was? Get off my duff and do what they told me to do. And the scripture's saying, you know what? Every one of the kids is going to wrestle with that. High school kids, little kids, little tiny babies, they're going to wrestle with being obedient to dad and mom. And so we need to realize it's got to go in the hopper that I'm going to have a tremendous conflict in my life if I'm a kid at being obedient, at following the wise advice of my parents. You need to wrestle with that. But you know what? You need to decide I'm going to be, I'm going to listen to in the Lord. I'm going to listen to my relationship with the Lord and I'm going to be obedient. So that's where the kids need to be. And we need to be wrestling in our homes. Are we in the Lord in our home where children are obedient? Now, why do kids need to do that? Because if they honor their father and their mother, if they treat their parents with with that kind of respect and that kind of weightiness, this is God's first commandment, and it will go well with them. And they will enjoy a long life upon the earth that the Lord has given to them. They'll enjoy a long life. If I take you up in the mountains, if you're a tenderfoot, if I take you up Mount Marcy and you're a city kid, and you don't obey me, you might not make it back alive. That's just the honest goodness truth. There are bear. There are big cliffs. If we do a little bit of repelling, you're going to have to obey minutely everything we tell you. If the knot is not tied right, you're gone. That's just the way life is. And what Ephesians 6 is saying, kids, if you've got a mom and dad that are together, if they're in their home, if, if, even if it's just a mom or just a dad, if they're seeking to live in the Lord then your responsibility is to respectfully obey them. And I want to challenge you kids, children and teenagers, be aware of becoming rebellious, because it could kill you. That tendency to fight and to, and to disobey and to, and to sneak and go and do things you shouldn't do, kids, it could destroy you. It's a deadly thing to begin to do that. But I want you to notice something else. I want to change gears. Now I'm going to talk to you as parents. It says to you, and it, I think it's very interesting, it addresses the daddies. Interesting enough. It says, daddies, this, in the next verse, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Remember, 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we talk about leadership, says, daddies, if you're going to be a leader in God's family, you need to be a leader in your home. And then it says, now, daddies, don't irritate. Don't Uh, provoke. Some of the translations have don't provoke your children to anger. Now dads, I want to tell you what provokes them to anger. I want to tell you what provokes your wife to anger. You know what it is? When you don't take your responsibility. When you are passive, you make people angry. How many of you work for a boss that you can never figure out what they really want? In other words, one day you go in, your job assignment is this. You do that, you dig the ditch exactly where they tell you to do it. The next day you go in, they say, no, I didn't want the ditch here, I want it over here. Fill in that ditch and let's move over here. How many of you, how many of you just love bosses like that? You know, one minute they tell you, man, you're doing a great job. The next minute they just totally lambaste you. And they're angry, they're upset, and, and you just don't know when it's going to come. You, know, you don't know whether you're doing a good job, whether you're doing a bad job. How many of you love working in a situation like that? No. You get angry at that. I want to ask you, what's your home like? Do your kids know, those of you that have little kids and and even older kids, in your home, do your kids know what the parameters are? What the responsibilities are? It's one of the hardest things to do. I'm just sharing with you from my heart. You know what? I don't like to take leadership. Let me use right here at the church. You know what American parents love to do? They like to bring 250 kids here on a Wednesday night. You know what they want to do? Disappear. They want to disappear. You know why? Because they don't want responsibility. They just brought their kids biblically to the most important thing that could be done in the child's life, and that is to train them in the spiritual realities of eternity. But the average parent in America has just worked hour after hour. They're dead tired, and what they want to do is get the kids off their hands. 
You know what we like to do? We like to even come. Like on a Sunday morning, we like to come. And now our kids aren't our responsibility. Now we can just let them run wild because they're nobody's responsibility because now we're in church. We're in the church house. I've got news for you, friend. We are always, always responsible. Wives, dads, and moms always have the responsibility. They're not ever saying, and some of you that have little children, you're just beginning in this. I'll never forget some older men and women coming to Mary and I and teaching us, saying, you know, you really need to get a hold of Jonathan. And it was hard on me. And some of what they said was true, some of it wasn't. But some of it was really to the point. It helped. As a young dad, I had never been there before. And they said, you need to get a hold of Jonathan as a little boy. You're his dad. You're responsible. That's what parents do. And what irritates Adults and what irritates other children, what irritates your own children, is when they break out of those parameters and you don't do anything. You just let it happen. I want to challenge you. It needs to begin when they're tiny. Somebody needs to say, I'm responsible and take responsibility. And that's what this text is telling us. It says, daddies, take your responsibilities. Don't irritate your children. Now, how in the world can we keep ourselves from irritating our kids. And the next part tells us how to do that. Notice what it says. Instead, instead of irritating your children, you need to bring them up in the child training and the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. There's two words here. One word is the most comprehensive word that you can use in training children in a life of wisdom. The other word is a word that means when they break that instruction, when they disobey, there is authoritative power and there's discipline that flows from that disobedience. Now, what it's saying is that your kids in your home know what the standards are. And some of you dear family members, I see you now because like my kids are a little bit older now, but I remember the days. Some of you dads and moms feel like the tool that's in your hand constantly in your home is a wooden spoon. Because that's what Mary and I use on our kids. A lot of you have followed that. Because so a wooden spoon doesn't hurt them. And uh, it just makes a sharp sting. But some of you feel like, man, that's an appendage to your arm. Your wooden spoon. Hang in there. Because what you're doing is you're laying down. You're saying, this is the parameters. This is the way it's going to be. There's going to be obedience in our home. If daddy and mommy say something, you all set the pattern. Some of you have set a pattern where the pattern is shouting. Your kids know. Mom hollers, like Prof. Hendricks used to teach us. Mom hollers out the back window, Johnny, come home. Johnny's playing with his friend Frank, and Frank says, hey, your mom just called you for supper. And Johnny says, no, she didn't. Ten minutes later, you know, Johnny's mom comes out again, Johnny, come home. Frank says, hey, it's time for you to eat. You know, you need to stop. Let's put up our trucks and stuff. And Johnny just keeps playing. He says, no, she hasn't. It's, it's fine. Just keep on going. Everything's fine, little kid. About ten minutes later, the mom comes out again and says, Johnny, get home right this minute. Johnny casually picks up his trucks, gathers his stuff and says, I've got to go home and eat supper. You see, that mom had set a parameter for what it was going to be in your home. Some of you dads have done that. In other words, when you go into your home, there's a whole series of the way you relate. When we listen, when we don't. There's some of the rest of you, daddy just says, it's time to eat. The kids very quietly, it's time to eat. The kids get up. Come to the table, because they know that's the parameter. That's the way it's going to be. That's what Paul is talking about. He's talking about daddies and mommies that set the parameter. I want to share something with you. It's a lot easier in your family. It's a lot easier in your family if you go ahead and do that. There's nothing worse than a family where the point of the family is a three-year-old. We're the leader of the family, like the one that decides when we eat, when we go to sleep, what we do when we go shopping. There's nothing worse than a family where where a three-year-old is the one that's setting up all those parameters. It'll just kill you. For one thing, you're not going to be able to keep pace with their schedule. They've got energy just busting out of them. So what Paul is saying is, he's saying it's dads, specifically dads, and the mom following the lead of dad, they set the parameters. How in the world do we do that? It's really great to talk about. We need to be responsible. We need to be the appointment in our home. We need to be the, be the women that are supporting that fatherly, husbandly guidance. How in the world do we do that? I'm going to tell you from the ultimate father's example. And the ultimate father is not me by a million miles. But the ultimate daddy is God. In the very first three pages of the Bible, God shows you how to be 
an effective dad. And I want all of you need to write them down. Some of you need to cut it out and you need to plaster these things up on your, on your, on your refrigerator. Put magnet on it and stick it up there. You want to be effective in disciplining your family. The first thing you got to do is, number one, you got to demonstrate your love. You need to write that down. The very first thing you do in any disciplining process, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're in a wanted leader, the very first thing you need to do is to demonstrate your love. It all begins right there. Husbands, you want to be the leader in your home? You know what you need to do? You need to demonstrate your love to your wife. The chapters of Genesis 1 and 2 begin like this. It was good, it was good, it was good. God created light, it was good. God created the sea, and it was good. God created the evening and the morning, and it was good. Everything God does is good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. You know what you get the idea after about a whole chapter of that? God is good, it's good. You know what he's doing? He's demonstrating his love. How many of you guys would think that a guy loved you if he put you in the most beautiful garden you could ever imagine, gave you the most beautiful surroundings, you could, shoot, you could fish trout, and you could do anything you wanted to by the hour, incredible setting. Then he gives you a beautiful knockout naked woman, says he wants you to make love to her and have as many kids as you can have. How many of you would conclude he's really good? He's loving. That's the truth. That's the way Genesis starts out. That's Genesis 1 and 2. The first not good is it's not good for man to be alone. So the Lord says, I'll make an ally that'll be his companion, that'll walk beside him. The whole point of Genesis 1 and 2, he's good, he's good, he's good, he's good. The first statement about God being bad comes from the adversary, from Satan. Satan's the one that tries to convince you that God isn't good. God is an ultimate father that has totally demonstrated to us that he loved us. And I want you to think of something else. You know how you really demonstrate that you love somebody? See, a lot of you think that you demonstrate that you love somebody from what I just told you. You give them beautiful things, give them beautiful trips, you give them beautiful vacations, you give them all kinds of beautiful stuff, and you think, well, I, I love them. And that's partly true, but it's not what real love is about. What did God do with Adam and Eve in the garden? What's probably the most beautiful thing that he did with Adam and Eve in the garden? In the cool of the day, he walked with them. Husbands, some of what's wrong with your family is that you haven't begun at the foundation demonstrating the love for your wife. The founder of Promise Keeper, the co-founder of Promise Keeper, is a guy named Bill McCartney. After winning the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame, Bill McCartney shocked the sports world because he carried through a promise that he made earlier this fall. He said that after the Fiesta Bowl, he would quit. He had a $350,000 a year job, which most of us men would covet. He had 10 years left on his contract. That was non-negotiable. He just had it. He had almost won a national championship in, in, in the football. And he got up before the Sports Illustrated reporters and all the other reporters in the nation and quit. Sports Illustrated did in January. They wrote a story about this whole thing. And you read the Sports Illustrated article. And one thing that's very obvious is the editor of Sports Illustrated, this reporter writing the article, just cannot figure Bill McCartney out. So they said, I know it's your daughter. Your daughter's had illegitimate babies from some of your football players, and you're quitting because your daughter's made such a mess out of your life. Bill says, my daughter has made a big mess of her life, and I love my daughter, and some of the mess is my own fault because I didn't give myself to her. But my daughter's in her mid-20s right now, and she's responsible. And so it's not my fault. You know, my daughter has come to me and told me you know, that I made some mistakes, but she's responsible. And we love her. We don't love the things that she's doing, but we do love her. But that's not why I'm not going to be the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. They said, well, the pressure got to you. Traveling all over the country got to you. He said, no. He said, in fact, to be honest with you, I really enjoy it. I kind of, I love my job. I love recruiting young ball players. And they said, well, why are you going to do this? He said, well, the bottom line is that there's a verse in the Bible that says that the glory of a man is his wife. I want all of you guys to listen to this, and I need to listen to this. You know what you think the glory of a man is? You think the glory of a man is your success. Being like Bill McCartney. For me as a preacher, the glory that I can think of is what I did last weekend. When I go before a big conference of men, I'm the big star. Everybody wants to talk to me. They announce the books that I wrote. I'm a big star. As men, we all relish that. It's one of our biggest weekends. We're like cocker spaniels. You pat us on the head, man, we wag our tail. And that's a big danger to men because that's not really where your success lies. Bill said the Lord began to convict me that the glory of a man is his wife. And he said this, you can look in a wife's eyes and find out what her husband is really like and what he really lives for. 
He said, I looked into my wife's eyes and I realized that for 35 years that we've been married, I was really married to my job. I was really married to my ego. I lived for myself. And my wife was dying relationally. And so I just decided that my best years of life lie ahead. I realized that most of the men listening to my voice would never have the resources to be able to do what I do. And I realized that. And I'm not trying to put myself as some great example, but the Lord gave me the resources. I just decided that with still good years ahead, that I was going to really give myself and love my wife like Christ loves the church. He said, that's why I'm resigning. And Sports Illustrated cynically said, well, he'll be back in three years coaching again. But Bill said this as the article closed. He said, if you'll only look at Lindy's eyes, you'll understand just one look when I resigned and my wife finally realized that Lindy, my wife, was more important than the Colorado Buffaloes. The lights came on. Men, your whole family life begins. Like my life begins, does Mary really know deep inside that she have my heart? That's where your family begins. That's where your example begins with your kids. And as men, I want you to be honest. I want you to be honest. I'm just like you. Man, I started out, you know, as a high school athlete. Man, I relished the cheers. Man, I wanted to be really successful in football. And then it changed. And intellectually, man, I wanted to be really successful in university. When I went to seminary, the big thing was to be the Dallas man and to be able to go out and be a successful pastor. Man, man, I know what it is to try to chug along and be successful. But the word of God has come into it and say, listen, man, success is not the money you make. It's not the prestige you have. It's not the power you exercise. Success is a woman at your side that you're married to that knows that you love her. And you've got to walk with her in the garden if you're going to demonstrate that. I want to share something else. Number two. Fathers, your children need to know that same thing. You need to walk with your children in the gardens of life. My dad is 82 years of age. I arrived from doing this pastor's conference just a week ago. I, I got up there on Thursday in the, at night. My dad met me at the airport. And we went out to eat. And he says, Dave, tomorrow morning, let's drive over to Vermont. Now, ordinarily on a Friday, I wasn't going to begin speaking till Friday night. Usually, I would have studied all day long. I would have done radio. I would have answered letters. I would have just studied all day, all day long. My dad said, no, we're going to go to Vermont. I said, Dad, what do you need in Vermont? He said, nothing. I said, what do you want to go to Vermont for? We're just going to go. So here we get in the car. Now, Vermont in the summertime is a good place to go. Leaves in the trees, beautiful setting. Vermont in the wintertime is a great place to go. Remember White Christmas? That's where they ended up, in Vermont. Vermont is a great place to go in the winter. Vermont is an incredible place to go in the fall. But in the mud season of the Adirondacks and Green Mountains, which is right now, there, it's not spring, it's not summer, it's not winter, it is yuck. So here my dad and I are driving two hours to Vermont. We arrive at Middlebury. We arrive at, at Middlebury. Dad says we go to the restaurant. The restaurant's closed. My dad delights in taking me to restaurants that are closed. I mean, we have done this about 30 times. He said, oh, I know another place. We ended up right in the center of Middlebury, Vermont. It's where Middlebury College is. It's a quaint New England town. We find this quaint New England inn. It took us 20 minutes figuring out how to get from the parking lot to the inn. We sat down, my dad's 82, and I sat down with him, and we just ate lunch together. And then we got back in the car, and my dad says, you drive, when you're 82, everyone else drives for you. And he fell asleep and slept. You know what, men? And every one of you know, that was a special, special time. Just dad and myself, all by ourselves, driving to Vermont. And every one of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you have never done that with your dad. Because your dad never had time. And I want to challenge you, men. If you want to have relationship with your dad, if you want to have relationship with your kids, it begins by what you're doing today. The big choice of your life is going to be, it's, it's the bottom line of your family. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, I didn't just share my message with you. I didn't just preach to you. He says something incredible. Paul says, I didn't just preach to you, but I gave you my life. Daddies, every one of your wives and every one of your kids need to know that dad gave me a large hunk of his life. And that's where all discipline begins. If you haven't demonstrated love, then your discipline will not work. It won't achieve the shaping and molding that needs to be done in parenting. 
So it begins there. Second of all, you demonstrate your love. Second of all, we say you need to give simple and clear command. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 gives a very simple, clear command. Let's look at it. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 says this. Very first command, besides be fruitful and multiply, that's really the second command of the Bible, goes like this. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, Genesis 2, 16, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. God begins with a positive. Whenever you give parameters, whenever you give discipline, you begin by saying, this is all that you can do. When I used to be a camp counselor at Word of Life, we used to tell the kids, this is all you're going to be able to do. These are all the activities you're going to be involved in. And then we would say, but this is one thing you can't do. You always begin positively. You can eat of all the trees of the garden. That demonstrates your goodness. It demonstrates your generosity. It demonstrates your love. But then he said this, but there's one tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is that difficult to understand? No. You know what? You know, some of you have the idea, well, I can't ever live for Christ. It's too hard to live for Christ. Does anybody here ever feel like it's too complicated to to live for Christ? How could I ever know whether I'm obeying him? If you feel that way, you're not following the biblical Christ. You know what? Some of you in your families feel like, man, this business of parenting is so hard. I mean, it's incredibly hard. I mean, I listen to Minerth and Meyer, and man, it's just, it's so complicated. I mean, there's one book after another. I go to the library. I go into a, a Christian bookstore. There are hundreds of books on how to raise kids. How do I know which book to read? Probably be better for you not to read any of them. Being a little bit facetious, but I'm saying, you know one of the big problems in the American church today? We're creating a new Phariseeism. We write book after book after book about how to do it. And you know what? It's really not that hard. It's simple things. Is it hard? Love your kids. Isn't that brilliant? You really need to love your wife. You need to love your kids. That's what I've said today. You know what? Do it. That's the truth. Second of all, you know what? You need to give just simple, clear commands. God started out the whole human race. Just don't eat from one tree. God summarized all of the moral foundation of of Judaism. You know what he did? Ten words. Ten commandments. That's it. Is it hard to understand? Just think how difficult it is. How many of you under... This is a tough one intellectually. Don't steal. Really tough, isn't it? Isn't it tough? It says, don't commit adultery. Is that hard to understand that? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. Don't covet. Now, is that complicated? No, it's simple. You see, what we do, we make it very complicated. The life with Christ is obedience. It's not understanding so much. It is to get off your duff and do what the Lord tells you to do. Obey him. You know what will happen when you obey him? You'll understand him. And when you understand him, you'll obey him. It always works together. And if you're confused about something in your Christian life, just do something you understand. Leave this time of studying the word of God and do something that you know is biblically right. And you know what? Jesus will help you to do it. And your life will start to come together. It's not complicated. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, come on to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I'll give you rest. My yoke is light. My burden is light. I'm not hard to follow. Phariseeism is hard to follow, not Jesus. Jesus is, he keeps it very simple for all of us. In your home life, you need to give simple, clear commands. In fact, you know, God summarized all of his commands to children in one verse that we've already said today. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. That would be a good place to start. Just say the rule in our household is that mom and dad are going to be in the Lord, in love with him, and in love with you. Number two, children are going to need to be obedient. Children will be obedient in this home. Because it's right. Very simple rule. So you give simple, clear commands. Thirdly, you need to make the consequences of disobedience clear. Notice God says, in the day if you disobey... You will surely die. And God uses the strongest terminology you can use. He says, in the day that you eat of this tree, you will certainly, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will die. So in your home, the kids need to know, this is the rule. When you break it, the consequences fall. The next principle, you need to make the consequences of disobedience clear. Then fourthly, you need to confront disobedience when it happens. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And it says here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God went back to heaven because the man and woman had disobeyed him and he realized that they were hiding in the bushes and they wouldn't want, him to, they wouldn't want to see him at this particular time. And it would be very uncomfortable emotionally and personally to have a time of confrontation with them right now. So he went back to heaven to let them work it out on their own. 
How many of you read that in the text? Nobody. You know what the hardest thing to do as dads and moms when your kids disobey is to have the eyeball-to-eyeball confrontation. The easiest thing in the world for me is to let it go. But notice what God does. God asks the question, where are you? You need to ask your kids. Moms, dads, you need to have conversations with your kids. Where are you? When they disobey, you ask them, where are you? Even when they're little bitty ones. Little seeds of rebellion. You notice how men, they just get rebellious and they want to get you. And you want to get them back. You get angry. And everybody needs to ask, where are we? Are we in touch with the Lord? And we need tender, godly, Christ-like dads and moms that are challenging their kids and saying, when you disobey me, consequences will flow. We will follow through with the punishment. If I told you that you would get a sharp sting on your back end with a spoon, with a wooden spoon that won't hurt you, but it will remind you that you, it hurts to disobey, it's going to happen. It'll happen. As they grow older, it needs, as they grow into the teenage years, it needs to be much more, where are you? I see naive teenage, t- parents of teenagers their teenagers start saying, I don't really like the youth group anymore. The youth group stinks in that church. Nobody likes me. They're all unfriendly. I think we really need to go somewhere else. In fact, I don't, I don't really like this whole church thing. You see, I don't really, I don't really like the Bible. I'm just really not into this Bible thing. It's so boring. Everything, it's just, everything's boring. And I see parents start biting their nails and say, well, you know, maybe you're right. Man, I think maybe we ought to try another group. In, or maybe we ought to travel somewhere else. Maybe there really is somewhere else. I even have parents who say, man, boy, the youth pastor, they just don't know what's coming off in that case. You know the one question that so many parents never ask? They never look at their teenager and ask them, where are you? Because I got news for you, friend. If you don't love Jesus Christ, you know what? You're sitting in an awfully dumb place. Because you've been sitting on your rear end for a long time trying to understand the Bible. And if your heart doesn't love God's revelation, if you don't love God, you know what? You're not going to want to do it. And you might as well be honest about that. And then the next question to ask is, well, where am I? What do I love? What am I excited about? Because that's the way we work. Man, my dad used to have conversations like that with me. Where am I? Where are you, Dave? What's happening in your walk with the Lord? And it's agony sometimes, because sometimes you have to say, well, man, I'm a million miles away. That's what God does with you. You need to do it with your kids. You know what? Don't let your kids decide what happened in your family. My dad never asked me, would you like, would you like to, to come to my meeting and hear me preach? My dad didn't ask me that. We went. And you say, oh man, that burned you out completely. Sure, I've devoted the rest of my life to doing exactly what my dad did. My dad really burned me out. And I've got news for you. I went to church more than any of you. I guarantee you. My dad would preach like eight, nine times in a weekend. And I went with him half the time. I went to a Christian boarding school. We had church every single day, twice. So this idea, well, man, we went to church too much and really burned me out on it. That's not what burns you out on it. Hypocrisy will burn you out. If dad and mom play games and they, and they have church, but they don't really give themselves to me, if they're not really genuine and real, that will burn you out. But dads and moms that are really in love with Jesus and are excited about him, and they're growing in his word, and they, and they love to hear about him, and they love to be with his people, and they love to be witnessing with other people, and, they, and they're involved with unbelievers sharing Christ. Parents like that don't turn kids off about Jesus. Their kids might not follow Jesus, but it won't be because of their parents. And every one of those kids of their own lives will say, it's not my parents that made me turn away. I did. I want to challenge every one of you dads and moms, take the point in your home. And when your kids disobey, when they have rebellious spirits, you need to ask them, where are you? The next thing you need to do is execute the punishment. And that's hard. If you look at the end of chapter 3, it says, After this, he drove the man and his woman, he, man, the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, and the flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. God executed the punishment. God said, You will surely die. And they did. And they got thrown out of the tree of the, gar- of the, tree of the, of the Garden of Eden. And that's tough. You know what's wrong with some of our families is the hammer never, fo- never falls. Mom and dad, their heart just melts. Sometimes mom's heart melts. Are you being too hard on her? You need to demonstrate your love. You need to give simple, clear commands. You need to state the punishment, what the consequences are going to be if you disobey. When the command is disobeyed, you need to confront those kids. Then you need to carry out the consequences of what you said. 
when they get older, when they leave your home, you've got to let them face the consequences of what their evil behavior has done. And that's one of the hardest things to do. Some of you are, keep, are, are just setting your kids up to really, really get hurt. You know why? Because you eliminate all the in-between stage. You eliminate all the little consequences that people are trying to put in your kids' lives to get them to wake up. And when you do that, eventually they'll do something where you, sometimes you can't recover from. And I want to challenge every one of you kids, you older kids, you are responsible. The way that you live can determine your destiny. It's absolutely important to realize that and take it very seriously. When they're little, the consequences can be like a little sting in the rear end. When you get in high school, it might be that you don't get to go to college because you didn't show up to take your final exam. And the consequence flows from that. And you learn from that. And dads and moms, we need to let our kids learn in that school of experience. If your kid is driving drunk, don't pay the insurance bills. Take their car away from them. Don't support it. Don't cover it up. It'll never work if you do. And if you don't, if you don't follow that advice, you're going to be burying somebody that your kid killed. That's the way life works. If they go away to college and they don't study, don't support them. Say, if you want to party, good. You can party. That's fine. I'm hurt. I don't want you to do that. But if you want to party, you pay the bill. And they'll tell you, oh, no, Dad, I'm going to miss the great opportunity. And and then I'm going to have to work a menial job. You say, good. What menial job can you get? Man, I'll give Chaparral Steel a call. Man, they need some people this summer to work some real dirty jobs. It's the best thing you can do for your kids. Don't make it easy. Don't take the consequences away. That's the way you learn. Make your kids learn. When they disobey, let the consequences fall. The final thing is absolutely important and will be done, though. You need to provide a means for full restoration. Jesus, God said in Genesis 3, verse 15, this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. And what Genesis 3.15 promises, God promised, brothers and sisters, that ultimately there would be restoration. These steps of discipline, get them down, you need to cut them down. Number one, you need to demonstrate your love. Number two, you need to give simple, clear commands. You need to make the consequences of disobedience clear. You need to confront disobedience when it happens. You need to execute the discipline. But finally, you need to provide full means of restoration. You need to make it possible for your kids to be renewed to full, loving closeness with you. Some of you have kids that have wandered away, and I want to share with you. Some of you have husbands. Some of you have wives that have wandered away, that are listening. And some of you are loaded down with a tremendous load of guilt, and I, 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 want, you to, I want to share this with you. You need, to, you need to not take the responsibility that does not belong to you. In Luke, it tells the incredible story of the prodigal son that wandered away from home. An adult child came to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me the inheritance you'll give me when you are dead. And the daddy let his son go away. It'd be like letting a son split for Las Vegas with a family savings. The son goes to Las Vegas and he lives with a bunch of showgirls. He gambles all the money away. He parties and he ends up just working on a ranch out in Las Vegas and, and feeding pigs out there in the Las Vegas desert. He ends up eating the pig slop. You know what? The daddy never went out to Las Vegas to bring him home. He never paid his debting, his bills. He never went and pulled him out of the bedrooms when he was living with the wrong women. But you know what? The son knew the light was on at home. The son knew that daddy was waiting at home. And the daddy in that story was God. You know what? You know what the most awesome responsibility every one of you have? Every one of you have the responsibility for what you'll do with your ultimate daddy in heaven, God. If you want to do the wrong thing, if you don't don't want to listen to what I teach you, I used to take a lot of responsibility when people went totally berserk. In fact, it was going to burn me out in the ministry. Every marriage that broke up, I would say, man, it must be my fault. What didn't I teach? What could have I have said? Every kid that went off the deep end in high school, what was wrong with our youth group and what more could we have done? Finally, the Lord said, hey, Wurtson, you're not God. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you're not God. And he said, I've got news for you too. I don't control people either. People have to make decisions. I've made it that way. There's a great mystery in that. 
But you're not the one that's responsible for all these decisions that people are making. And I began, and I began to look around. And the Lord says, David, what I really care about is you. Do you love Mary? If the answer to that is yes, good. That's what I want. That's what you're responsible for. Are, are you being a good daddy to Jonathan, Joel, Joshua, and Janae? That's what I'm concerned about. That's your responsibility. You can't be everyone else's daddies. You just handle what I've given you to do. You know what? It helped me. Finally, it began to release me. And that's what some of you as parents need to do. You need to release and let God be God and realize your kid makes choices. But you know what? You need to have the light on at home. I'm going to close with this illustration. I've shared it with some of you in the past, but it really drives home what it means to open up the doors for complete restoration. Jonathan and Joel, from the time they've been little boys, have, have made me nothing but proud in a million different ways. When Jonathan did his valedictor- valedictorian speech, I could have, my head was swollen as big as the whole gymnasium. When Joel prayed, when he graduated and, and, and expressed his love for the Lord, and Joel's so steady. He's always there. Joel's the one I can always count on. He always makes me proud. He just wrote me a letter. He, he, he was very involved in the, in the concert of prayer down at UT, and 600 kids came out, and he was all excited about it. And now he's getting ready to go on a mission trip to Israel. Joel makes me incredibly proud. They went to Word of Life a couple summers ago, and it was their first summer working up there, and all I got all summer long was incredible reports of how neat they were doing, and my dad sent me glowing reports. My grandsons are tremendous, and they're doing a tremendous job with these programs. And man, everything is great. The end of the summer came. Joel came home early to practice football his senior year, and we got a call just as that last week started. And, I, and Jonathan told Mary, I can't talk to you now, but it's real important. You need to get Dad... And I'm going to call you in about three hours, and i got something real important to tell you. And, I, and, and Mary, she's just shaking when she gets off the phone. Man, I said, man, somebody died because I get those kind of calls. Somebody's really sick. He's got leukemia. He got some girl pregnant. You know, what in the world is going to happen? He calls up. I asked him, Joel, I said, Joel, what's going on? Joel says, I don't know. He gets on that phone. He says, Dad, we really blew it. And I've been on probation. For the next week, I've got to work in the dish pit and do all the menial jobs. I can't be a program leader because all of us program guys got disciplined. I said, what in the world did you guys do? He said, well, it was the last night before Joel. Joel already was getting ready to go home, and all of us were going to have a goodbye party. We all got together, and one of the guys went out and bought a bunch of cigars. And we went out in the woods, and we had a campfire, and we smoked those cigars. The guy that set all this up got convicted about it about two days later. And went to the director and told him what they did. And I said to Jonathan, how stupid. No. <laughs> so Jonathan said, I just wanted to call you up. And he said, you need to, I said, first of all, I want to say to you, I'm sorry. Well, I hit the fan. I said, Jonathan, he said, before I put my, your mom on the phone, she's going to really hit the fan. And I got Joel in there. I said, I am really disappointed in you guys. I'm yelling over the phone, talking to Joel. I said, I could care less about the cigars because to be honest with you, I know Jonathan and Joel's big temptation in life is not going to be to smoke cigars. So it's really not that big a deal. But I tell you something, what really bugs me is you guys made it, you guys promised, you wrote on a sheet of paper when you started working this summer that you wouldn't do, and that was one of the things that you signed in the dotted line you wouldn't do, and you did it. I said, that's what really hurts me. You broke your word. You were unfaithful. You didn't keep your word. You know what else I was thinking? In my heart, just to be really honest with you, the dad, remember I told you about my son's making you proud? Well, I go up to Word of Life as a speaker, and I wrote a book called Raising Worldly Wide and Innocent Kids. I'm supposed to know how to raise kids. And here my kids act like total jackasses right at the end of the camp. And those are all my friends. All the guys that I was raised with are their bosses having to deal with my disobedient sons. And man, my pride was right in the tank. And so we, Mary got on the phone, and you know what Mary did. Mary just really laid into them. And she said the same thing. It was a night of the meteor shower in late August. And our home was, was not shooting fireworks. Their fireworks were shooting, but they weren't celebration, man. We were in the pits. Mary and I were out in two easy chairs out on our, on our, our driveway. And after this big confrontation... And things had quieted down. Before Joel went to bed, he came out in the driveway. And he was crying. And he said, Dad and Mom, I'm sorry. I know what we did was really dumb. 
and we know that we really hurt you. And then Joel said this, Dad, will you forgive me? And in a split second of time, you find out the way the Father in Heaven loves you. Because that's what all of you in this room need to realize. You come to your Daddy in Heaven, and you say, if you'll ever break, if you'll ever stop excusing, and ever make all the reasons why you did what you do, when you just go to him and say, Dad, in heaven, I blew it. What I did was wrong. What can your father do? You see, all of my life, Joel had appealed to my pride. He made my life. As his daddy, his career made my career. But here was a time where he had done something that didn't make my career at all. It destroyed my pride. It made me angry. But when your son looks at you and says, Dad, will you forgive me? You go back to point number one. Do you really love your son? And I gathered Joel in my arm and said, what do you think? You're my son. You're my boy. Sure, I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. And that's the love that daddies and mommies and children can have in Christ. And forgiveness can flow. The greatest social problem in America today is the absence of dads and moms who do what I just told you you need to do. Now, we can get all upset about what's happening in the nation. It's not going to do that much good. But you know what you can do today? You can go and love your kids. Alan and Julie can love their precious boys at home today. Carol and Virginia can love their grown-up family today. Brian and Lori can love their extended family, a melding family. They can love and give and care. Gail, a single mom, can love and tenderly do what we shared about with her girls. You see, what the Lord is calling us is he's calling us to go home. You know what he's calling me to do? He's calling me to go and demonstrate my love. And I want to share with every one of you dads, it's not a given that you just love your kids. You see, it's easy for me to love Josh. Josh loves basketball. So do I. I've loved basketball from the time I was a kid. Joshua is just like me in athletics, more than any of my other boys. So it's simple for me to spend time with Joshua. Man, let's play basketball. I like playing basketball. But he's also into art. I'm not an art person. You know when I tell him that I love him, when he shows me his art, what do I do about it? Janae is all into learning all these steps and everything and singing. And when she comes to Daddy and says, Hey, Daddy, Daddy, look what I just made. Let me do this musical piece for you. And if I say, No, I got too much. I got to get ready to speak on Sunday. And man, I got to get another radio program going. If I don't drop it and pour some of my life into Janae, then I don't love her. That's just the way it is. I don't love her unless I walk with her in the garden. And as we walk with them in the garden, we develop the deep relationships that enable us to forgive and love. And you know what? For some of you that have prodigals wandering away from home, that bottom line of love, where kids know deep in their heart, the lights are on at home, mom and dad are waiting. It might take a lot of years, but in the long run, I've seen 99.9% of the, of the time, eventually they're on the front porch knocking on the door. Dad and mom, I'm sorry, I want to come back home. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would help us today. As we talk about leadership, Father, I pray that you would help us understand that dads and husbands need to take the point in their home. They need to lead the way. I pray that moms and wives would realize that they need to be at their husband's side, supporting and comforting and respecting, giving precious spiritual input and and ideas as well. They need to be together as a husband and a wife. As a husband and wife, they need to take responsible for the precious gifts that you've put in our homes. And Lord, I just would pray that as I talk today to dads and moms that are raising little children, big children, adult children, all different kinds of children, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will help us to have a, a, a deep feel, not just a knowledge, but help us have a feel for what you've taught us in your word today. Now, Lord, help us to leave this time learning at your feet. Lord, help us to do it. Help us to do it this afternoon. I pray that some dads would think seriously about where they are in their career. 
and what they're really living for. And if they're just sucking all their energy out in their jobs, I pray, Lord, that they'll make some adjustments and help them to save that precious emotional bank for intimacy with their wife, with their kids. Lord, if there are some homes that are disrupted because there's no discipline, there's just no standards, there's no fences that anybody knows where they're coming from and what they're supposed to do, and there's no consequences that fall when there's disobedience, I pray that this afternoon some dads and moms will get together and lay out some parameters of the way it's going to be in their home and then give them the strength and the patience to consistently implement discipline in their home. Help some dads and moms that are really struggling with some kids that, man, they're trying to be consistent, but their kids are really pushing them. I pray that you would encourage these dads and moms to keep going. I pray for some kids. Many of our kids are, are really in love with Jesus. Help them to, to just realize that gonna, they are going to wrestle with disobedience, and that's okay. If they'll trust in the, in the power of Christ, they can learn to overcome that passion towards rebellion, and they can have a passion towards submission to your will. Lord, we have so many needs today and we thank you so much for the power of your Holy Spirit to touch our lives. And now we pray that the lesson will really begin as we allow your Spirit to cause us to put it into our, into our doing. Lord, I pray that we'll now go out and really do what you want us to do based upon what we've learned. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.